We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Which of the stories is most traumatizing and harrowing for you to go through? Yeah, definitely a tough one to answer. I think the story of Danny Ray Thomas is is a particularly tough one. Uh, it deals with mental health, as many of these cases tend to. Um, Danny Ray Thomas, I think what really hits hard for me is that he spent most of his life homeless. His mother died in an early age. His uh, father was incarcerated shortly thereafter. So him and his sister basically raised each other on the streets in Houston. And they had been through so much. And then he finally, you know, had some kids and had a wife. He ends up going to jail because he was doing some substances that landed him there. And while he was in jail, his wife killed his kids. And he wasn't even able to be there for the funeral. Well, they did let him out for the funeral, but they wouldn't let him actually be there for them putting the kids in the ground. They you know, let him go to the viewing, but he couldn't see his kids go in the ground. He goes back to jail, comes back out for, you know, about three months later, and is now really struggling with his mental health and ends up in the middle of the street with his pants around his ankles and police shoot him in the middle of the street. And it's just like the system failed him. And I think that's what is so tough for that one. And I have a cousin who has schizophrenia. And I I see that story and I constantly think that I'm going to one day wake up and see my cousin as one of these people. The police violence crisis has been going on for decades. But ever since Trayvon Martin and Eric Garner and Michael Brown, things have been getting hotter and hotter. And Black Lives Matter has risen up to try to combat that. And yet and still more and more people keep getting killed all the time. There are names we know and there are names we haven't even heard of. That's why... How- That's why we have to keep saying their names so we keep them alive. There's a new podcast out that I want you to listen to called Say Their Name, a deep dive into the stories that you haven't heard of, the people who got killed by police who you don't even know. They go in and talk to their family, their friends, and find out who they really were and what really happened to them. 
Save Their Name is out now. The executive producer of the show is called Chris Colbert, and I talk to him now. It's Chris Colbert on Touré Show. Where did the idea for Say Their Name begin? The idea for Say Their Name, um, it began before 2018, to be honest. Um, as a company, we started in 2018. So we started actually um, putting things together behind the scenes. But it was probably in like 2016, 2017, I started thinking about it. Um, our chief content officer here at DCP, as well as our host of the series, uh, Adele Coleman, she was also kind of thinking about the series separately. And when we came together with the company in 2018, we really started talking about this idea that we were seeing these incidences of Black people being killed, assaulted by police and in stand your ground states. And for me, I was just noticing that we weren't having conversations about who they were. You know, what is you know, what was their personality like? What was their hobbies? Uh, what was their career, their life trajectory? Uh, meanwhile, Adele was kind of coming to the project saying, well, what is the ongoing situation with these families, with these communities? Because we have these hashtags and we have these news stories come out on some of these cases, not even all of them. And we're not seeing what the long-term effects are. What happens when those hashtags stop? You know, what's that fight for justice? What is the financial burden on these families? What's the mental and emotional burden on these people? Um, and really just getting a full picture of what it is that they are up against uh, and so that's really where we started kind of formulating this project before we actually finally hit the road in 2019. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of emotional stuff when you're going into these people's homes and asking them to dredge up the stories which are present for them. They probably don't forget them, but they don't dig into the details and outwardly discuss them all the time. So... You know, you're showing up in a lot of people's homes and bringing up a lot of difficult stories and difficult emotions. And how was that? Like just sort of going into people's worlds and asking them to relive like the worst part of their lives and having them like tell you these stories. It was tough just from the standpoint of what you said. Like I personally understood that I am asking them to rip off a scab wound. And many of them maybe have healed. Some of them maybe were just trying to heal. Um, it always started first with conversations on the phone. One, to get their permission to come out and do this, but to really just talk with them and let them understand, you know, we're going to get into some tough stuff. Are you okay with that? And then when we sit down with them, they literally say to them, hey, if we get into anything that is too emotional, anything that you feel like, you know, you may have already said that you just don't want to be put out there in the world because maybe this might have some ramifications on your own safety uh, because you might still live in this community. Uh, we always gave that permission. So I guess that made me feel a little bit better about doing it. But then just thinking about the fact that we have now opened these wounds and now we're just kind of leaving their home and going to finish up this project and they're still stuck sitting in that emotional state. And so we still have an ongoing relationship with these families as we talk to them about what we're doing with the series, but also just on a personal level, because I just don't want to feel like I'm every other media outlet who has tried to either sensationalize something or to try to use their story for personal or business gains. Like, I truly want to help these families, and I just feel connected to them now 
partially because, you know, I, I feel bad for what they've gone through, but also because we have used them to help tell a narrative to, you know, the world. And it's only right that we try to take care of them at the same time. So I am constantly checking in with them to make sure they're okay. I wonder the impact on you of hearing all these stories and taking them in and thinking deeply about these different stories. And, you know, I, I worry about the impact on all of us of seeing these videos over and over. I worry about the impact on people like Ben Crump and, you know, Brittany Packnett and DeRay and these sort of people who like get close to family after family that goes through this. And you've become another person who's like parachuting into lots of different harrowing, traumatic stories. So what has been the impact on you personally? I, I think my anxiety has probably ratcheted up. I, I you know, as a black male, I've always kind of had a fear of police. Um, but I think now having sat in these living rooms and talked to these people and heard these stories um, and literally having watched all the videos too, part of the research of this was me sitting and watching video after video um, and reading story after story about who we should talk to. And I think that has settled into my psyche and, and there's, you know, I try meditation and things like that to, to you know, kind of keep myself at ease, but I can't get those things out of my head. And so there is definitely an increased anxiousness I have where I walk past police every single day. I'm here in New York and currently in Times Square where there are tons of police and they have, you know, automatic rifles now here in, in New York. Um, and so I am fearful as I walk around and know that maybe there's a protest down the road and uh, I might fit the description as somebody who uh, they're looking for. And now I might get snatched up or, or something may happen to me on my way home. So. Yeah, I think it, it has internalized itself to a bit. What I will also say, though, is before I even went on on the journey on the road, I did call Ben Crump. He is a, a friend of mine and was part of the basis for beginning this project because him and I have been in connection for years based around Trayvon Martin's family. We, we first met um, around some of the peace walks they would do down in Miami. And I literally asked him, I said, how do you take care of yourself? How do you do this every single day? And he told me, you know, he does it he looks at his son and that's kind of what keeps him going. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that's how he takes care of his mental health, but that's how he continues to power through. And so I very much do the same thing in terms of these are people that could easily be my family members can easily be me. And so that's why I can power through, but you know, working out uh, meditation um, is really the best way I can to, to really cope with this uh, in terms of my own mental and emotional health. Uh, just to narrow it, what is the impact on you of having all those videos in your short-term memory? Because I know as black people, I could say 20 or even 25 names and we could immediately see, you know, these different killings. And you just did that. You downloaded a ton of them into yourself um, for your research. So what is the impact of having this like a ton of these snuff films in your short-term memory? Insomnia. I'm already an insomniac, but I think it keeps me up at night. I think um, I have this feeling of responsibility that I have to fix this. I know it's not my personal responsibility. It's not anybody has thrust this on me, but when you see them on a constant basis, you want them to stop. And you don't want them to stop in your head. And the only way to make them stop in your head is to make them stop in the world. 
And so how, how and what can I do to make it stop? Uh, and then when you see another one happen, it's hard to get out of bed. I, I, when, you know, this week alone, it was tough to, to get out of bed when, you, you know, situations in Illinois happen. And, and um, you know, obviously in, uh, now I'm forgetting, you know, but yeah, it, it's, it's tough to work every single day and still, you know, conduct regular business uh, with these, these reels just going over and over again in your head. It makes you a little numb um, because... The stories are so similar, you know, the, 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 the whole arc of it is so similar that you kind of become almost numb to the whole thing. I I can understand that. I don't think for me, I'm numb. I think it, I, I, I feel like I lose a little bit of my hopefulness in humanity as each one goes along. So I don't, I don't think I've hit the numbness point yet. Uh, I think the indignation and anger just keeps ratcheting up. Um, and then my, my lack of, I'm a pretty optimistic person, but I think my optimism is, is waning at this point. Which in this, in this piece, in this documentary series, you don't deal with the famous big brand name cases. You're taking us into cases that we probably haven't even heard of. Um, why, I mean, first, first off, why that, why dive into, the smaller names rather than go back. I mean, cause there, there's still a desire to hear more about what's, you know, the Eric Garner situation, the Tamir Rice situation, you know, Sandra Bland, et cetera. There's still documentaries, audio and video being made about those, but you're dealing with like names that we haven't heard. So why'd you choose to go that road? I think part of it is what you just said in terms of there are other people helping tell those stories, which is great. And I do think that the the way that we tell our stories, we can still focus on those and be able to help tell a different kind of narrative there or, or maybe not different, but a more complete narrative there. Um, but we really want to focus on these lesser known cases because the fact that, you know, I want to show the breadth of this. Um, in a way that, you know, it's like, oh, I already heard about that. So, okay, this is just the same story regurgitated. When you hear a new name, you realize how deeply rooted it is. And I know now that may seem obvious, but when we started this project, it wasn't. You know, I was still talking to people who would, were feeling like these were one-off cases and it's just some bad apple. Um, but I think when you show these lesser known cases that they didn't know about, you're able to start showing how more systemic this issue is. And, and not just these kind of one-off scenarios. Um, and it's not to say we haven't reached out to some of the bigger name people. We actually have. There's some families who we did reach out to, and you do know those families' names, but they just said, hey, I've done so many of these interviews already. It's just exhausting, and, and we're just done right now. And so, you know, we, we very much respect that. Yeah. Which, um, I mean, I know it's hard to pick a favorite child, but which of the stories is most traumatizing and harrowing for you to go through? Yeah, definitely a tough one to answer. Um, I think the story of Danny Ray Thomas is, is a particularly tough one. Uh, it deals with mental health as many of these cases tend to. 
Um, Danny Ray Thomas, I think what really hits hard for me is that he spent most of his life homeless. His mother died in an early age. His uh, father was incarcerated shortly thereafter. So him and his sister basically raised each other on the streets in Houston. And they had been through so much. And then he finally, you know, had some kids and had a wife. He ends up going to jail because he was doing some substance, uh, uh, some substances that landed him there. And while he was in jail, his wife killed his kids. And he wasn't even able to be there for the funeral. Well, they did let him out for the funeral, but they wouldn't let him actually be there for them putting the kids in the ground. They you know, mm-hmm. let him go to the viewing, but he couldn't see his kids go in the ground. He goes back to jail, comes back out for, you know, about three months later, and is now really struggling with his mental health. And ends up in the middle of the street with his pants around his ankles and police shoot him in the middle of the street. And it's just like the system failed him. And I think that's what is so tough for that one. And I have a cousin who has schizophrenia. And I I see that story and I constantly think that I'm going to one day wake up and see my cousin as one of these people. Mm. So I think that one hits me really hard because of that mental health aspect and the fact that it really wasn't his fault. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts.
Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. Make It Plain covers politics and social justice. From organizers to legislators, it's the conversation you need to get woke. One of the stories that hit me a little differently was the story of Artie Elliott because he doesn't come from the street. He comes from basically baseball royalty. His dad was a big major league baseball player for was like 14 years you know, his family was cool with Ken Griffey in them, Tony Gwynn in them. Like, this is our life. Like, we go to baseball conventions or whatever, and the old Hall of Famers are like, yo, your dad was the man, da 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 And, you know, he had always been uh, a good kid, top-flight baseball player, you know, like, straight arrow. And then he runs into and, – and it's like – you know, we know this intellectually, but we keep being reminded that, you know, walking while black, you know, being in the wrong place while black can get to anyone. And it's not like, you know, you're in these situations because you've made a mistake. It's not in. The, it's not like you can class your way out of these situations. You know, this 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 can happen to anybody. Yeah, and actually that one's Robbie Tolan um, and his father, Bobby Tolan. Like, oh, it's okay. Yeah, and he, you know, to our point, though, there's so many of these, it's easy to confuse and mix names up. But, um, yeah, his is tough. And I, I almost picked him as the one that was tough for me because we have a lot of parallels. We're the exact same age. I wanted to be a professional basketball player. He was much better with his baseball career than I was with basketball. Uh, we both lived in towns called Bel Air. I'm from Bel Air, Maryland. He's from Bel Air, Texas. There was just all these weird parallels with him. And yeah, he got stopped in his own driveway under suspicion of having stolen his own car. And his parents come out in pajamas, and yet they still shoot him in his own driveway. And by the way, uh, after, you know, as they're fighting for justice, this uh, officer not only doesn't get fired, but he gets a raise. He gets a promotion. And, you know, it's just, I think that, that that's kind of the one that you'll hear, though they do go all the way to the Supreme Court and are able to fight, you realize how much it takes out of them. And the fact that they are well, well, well off, you know, are, are you know, of some some good means. That's the only reason that they were able to fight all the way to the Supreme Court. They had to sell their home to be able to continue that case. And not many people have a home to sell. And I think, you know, we try to say, you know, we, we can, you know, if you don't get justice here, then just make an appeal and then you can keep fighting. Well, no, you need money to get that appeal. You need money for those lawyers. A lot of these lawyers will do a pro bono, but they have to make a living too. So you can't fault the lawyers for not being able to take a case because they have to feed their family. And it's like the system is set up to not allow us to get justice. And I think that case really helps to show it to you. Ar- Wait, uh, Artie Elliott is the one who was strapped in the back of the police car and is shot, what, 18 times point-blank range? 
shot at 22 times. They hit him 14 times. I mean, Front seat of a police car with his hands cuffed behind his back. He's cuffed and 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 seat belted, double seat belted in a police car. And the, I mean, that's an execution. Yes. Yes. And now there is a case with William Green in the same district in Prince George's County. And they actually did get a settlement and they ha- and that officer is charged. We'll see what then happens. Um, and so it's an almost identical case. And Archie Elliott was back in 1993. William Green was here in 2020. And so now hopefully we can maybe use that as a way to reopen the Archie Elliott case. But yeah, even though there wasn't video footage back then, there's no explanation for that. Like how how did this go unsolved? And those officers still work in Prince George's County till this day. When you lay all these stories out, what do you learn about the police? I learned that there's no records of of these officers, and they're easily able to jump from one place to the next without the public knowing their their resume, their history. Um, in terms of having incidences with with individuals. I also never thought about it until one of the lawyers brought it up to me in one of our interviews that a lot of um, a lot of police forces, because of money, will hire these people coming from other districts and either not care or uh, just not uh, uh, look for any kind of incidences in the past because it saves them money for training. It and saves so them they tra- we save money for training, but also like we had Philip Goff on the show. And he talked about most police departments are like 12 people or less, right? Yes, also. And, and if Officer Jim shoots somebody, everybody knows him. They probably understand. They think like, hey, the kid had it coming to him. Jim's a good guy. Jim's got to go to another department. They feel bad for him. If if somebody at the new police department were to call the old one, which normally would not even happen, and say, hey, what do you think about Jim? We heard this story. They'd be like, Jim's a good guy. Like, you know, he got into a crazy situation. You knew how it is. So they're all going to have each other's back. If you're asking a cop to evaluate what a and what an officer did, generally they're going to be like, hey, you know, like, you know, either the kid had it coming to him or, you know, like, you know, you know how it happens on the street, you know, but Jim's a good guy. Like. So, I mean, there's definitely not a punitive uh, nature to making a huge mistake as a police officer as it would be in almost any other. You know, like, you know, if you make a mistake on the operating table as a doctor, they're going to know. You can't just show up at another hospital like, hey, Lose I'm your be, license. Right. I, you know, if, if you crash a plane, like we're going to find out. You're not just going to jump to Spirit Airlines now. But like as a police officer. Um, you are allowed to move, as you're saying, with impunity as if your resume is just doesn't exist. Yeah. And, and then it also ties in to the political side, though, you know, even with the police, the Fraternal Order of Police is a very strong union and it donates a lot of money to the people who are in office. And so they kind of know that, OK, well, there's not going to really be accountability. They're going to take care of us because we put them there. And I, I kind of always knew that, but I didn't know how deeply rooted that was until having really gotten on the ground and talked to these different people around the country. What did you learn about the way that police operate on the street? Because the things you talked about are super important, but they're sort of larger, you know, administrative, political sort of things. But like, you know, you know, the way that the police operate on the on the ground. <clears throat> Yeah, 
Oh, well, I think a lot of people kind of know this at this point, that, that many of the police do not come from or live in the communities uh, that they are policing in. And so I, th- I think that's one thing that you realize and, and come to find out, though there are some of these cases where the police have been in those neighborhoods for long periods of time, so people know them, which isn't always necessarily a good thing. So I'll use the instance of um, uh, Kildrick Donald. Uh, that episode's not out just yet. Um, but Keldrick Donald was in Gretna, Florida, a small town. So all the police know each other. All the community members know each other. And there's one officer that everybody knows is a bad, you know, a, a bad apple, is somebody who is is an issue. And <clears throat> they know to try to avoid him. But constantly he is beating people up. He's dragging people out of churches. He is threatening people with guns. And yet this man is still on the street. And that's where, you know, on the street, you would think that you know, the police themselves would want to get him off because he's a liability. Um, I think that they either just don't care. I, I, I'm not an officer myself. So this this is something that we don't get into in our series. We don't actually talk to police, so I don't know for sure. But I would just assume that it goes back to what you were just saying. They don't have enough staff to be able to take him off the street because they need him there just to fill bodies. I mean, there is a shortage of police officers in this country. They feel like they need more police officers to be able to deal with uh, the situation on the street, which has nothing to do with some rise in crime because we are not experiencing rise in crime. Crime is actually going down. Homicide is going down. General crime is going down, especially in big cities. Um, But there is a sense uh, in the police industry that there's not enough officers. So the fact that somebody is, is rogue and beating some asses, like, they're <laughs> they're not going to get rid of him for that reason. Um, well, and 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 to that point too of you know trying to get more officers and and also wanting to hopefully get ones that are in the community. Well, you've already poisoned the pool. You know, if you are constantly beating people up in a certain neighborhood or killing them, they have a, a certain feeling about the police, so they're not going to want to be police. So now we've just we've we've stopped ourselves from having the ability to try to get those people to be able to police their own community. So. What what reforms need to happen? Like when you've seen many, many different situations up close, what real reforms do you think could happen that could make a significant difference? There's a lot. Um, and I think the Justice and Policing Act, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act is something that covers a lot of that. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low-sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it, and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member... I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Torrey thrive market dot com slash Torrey. 
Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Is that all the, oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramount+. Um, but for me personally, I think uh, part of what we had talked about in terms of uh, having some kind of public record of these officers is something that is doable um, and is something that could make a real difference because now the community can truly understand who is policing them and understand who to potentially avoid, but also who to then go to their politicians to say, we need to get this person out. And if they don't, we need to hold that police chief accountable. So I think that's probably one of the easiest things to be able to do. That would be very interesting to be to have much more account. I mean, as a police officer, you have so much responsibility and so much power, and the notion that you can also have uh, this opaqueness, this 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 invisibility. We don't know your name. We don't know your badge number. Quite often, people won't tell you, or they'll take it off. Uh, they move around in terms of we don't know who the actual individuals who are policing us are. And we could totally create a system where we are much more aware of who they are. Of course, you know, the police union doesn't want that. And they create things like erasing their records after a certain amount of time, fighting for them to not be censured, no matter how badly they behave. Um, I mean, the police union seems to be constantly the source of a lot of the problems that we have in terms of getting actual substantive reform. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm not saying that that solution is going to be an easy one in terms of trying to get them to want to do it. But I think in terms of like the technology piece of it, that's super easy because once it's now out into the you know general public, it lives there forever. You know, are you in favor of abolition? No, I'm not. I'm I, I do believe that there is a need for police, but I am in favor of uh, uh you know, being able to reestablish what policing is. They should be, they should not be the ones going out to give mental health care or, or if responding to a mental health situation. That should not be happening. Uh, and that is covered in some of our, our episodes. I think, you know, they shouldn't be in, and obviously this isn't necessarily about what we're talking here, but they shouldn't be in schools. They shouldn't be in a lot of these places. And honestly, it's not fair to them that they are taking on more than they should be taking on. So honestly, they should want that. They should want to have less of those responsibilities so they can really focus on actual crime. Um, And so, yeah, I'm more in defunding the police from the perspective of relocating that money into uh, social services. Um, But I'm not on the abolition side of, of police. No, that makes a ton of sense to me that there's a lot of things that police are being asked to handle that really do not require people with uh, guns and handcuffs to show up to be able to deal with. And, you know, they show up to a domestic violence problem, a mental health issue, um, a noise issue, a parking issue, and like less than 5% of what they are dealing with are actual violent crimes, right? So why are we sending people with guns and handcuffs to decide who should I shoot, who should I take to jail um, when it's a non-violent situation. This person needs more uh, de-escalation, 
more patience, more calm. And police officers are taught to not de-escalate and to not retreat. Um, occasionally you'll see them retreat because they are actually in fear, but their training is to always go forward. Um, so when they get into a situation with somebody who has a mental health problem, for example, um, they, they, the person is not responding to normal human cues, but they're probably not dangerous, right? Most people with mental yep. health issues are not a danger to other people. Um, but the officers must go forward if you had people who are trained to deal with those situations. Um, they could understand, like, let's retreat. Let's be patient. Let's wait. They're not hurting anybody. They're not hurting. But, you know, I mean, we also have, you know, an army of Karens, let's say, who are calling the police over nothing. Um, I saw just the other day uh, a, a, a black man was dancing in the street. That's his thing. He was happy. It was morning and he was just doing a nice little dance, not getting in the way of cars, not bothering anybody. It was an empty street. Um, you know, it was sort of a lovely balletic sort of pretty dance and somebody called the police and, you know, he was offended that he was talking to the police. So he's giving them attitude like, why are you even talking to me? Why are you even bothering me? So now they're perceiving, oh, we need to make sure that you heal, that you show us uh, uh, deference, right, and, and subservience. Because if you don't, then that's a threat to who I am as a police officer. And he's like, I'm a citizen and I'm doing nothing wrong. I shouldn't even be bothering with you. Right. The criminal would know. I know why you're here. <laughs> I'm out of here. I, I'm, I'm out of here or I know how to get through this. My lawyer is already prepared to bail me out. I, you know, I know the procedure. You know, the, the, the citizen who's done nothing wrong is like, I'm offended that you're here. And now we have a whole other problem. And the officer who feels the need to to show you your place um, we, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a, I mean, I, I'm not sure how we could get to actual substantive reform without some level of abolition and a complete reassignment of officers to an entirely different way of relating to the public. Now, no, I think that's an interesting point. You know, I guess when I hear, you know, abolishing, I'm thinking just do away with them and they never come back. I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense in terms of let's tear this thing down because it was already built on a racist system. So let's tear it down and then build it back up in the right kind of way. I can get behind something like that. And I would also then add to that piece. And I don't necessarily know how this fully would work. But when you're relocating funds, maybe you can do this where you have a third party a psychologist or someone who is constantly doing mental health evaluations of these officers. Because it's also not lost to me the fact that some of these people are former military or just in the line of duty within being an officer, they are having trauma their, their selves. And so they are now having perceptions that maybe are not there. And if you have people within the police department doing those evaluations, well, you're not going to get the evalu kind of evaluations that you need to have. So you need a third party to do that. Do you think that... Um that we're making a difference. I mean, you have stories from as far back as the early nineties within this, we know of stories, you know, going back decades before we were born um, to, you know, this week. Do you think that, that we're making a difference in terms of 
of dealing with police violence in this country? No. In terms of preventing it from happening, no. I don't think we are. Um, I I hope that we are going to be able to. Um, I think that we are slightly getting more accountability, at least in terms of the public acknowledgement of accountability. But I still am not optimistic that these officers who are currently being charged are actually going to see jail time uh, just because history doesn't show us that happening. Uh, I will say in terms of programs like what we're doing and some efforts that other people are doing, I think we're making a difference in terms of resources that are available to families who may experience this in terms of understanding what they're up against and understanding uh, the families that are out there that can help them through this process. But no, unfortunately, you know, as many things in this country, when it deals with race, um, things don't change until the people in power want them to change. And so people like us continuing to talk about it, great, we keep it in the public uh, public eye and in the uh, public conversation, uh, but it's not going to actually change until, you know, they're either forced to change by the, uh, the po- political side of things or the police themselves see that financially it's hurting them and they actually have to do something about it. Because right now, by the way, financially, even when they do have settlements, that comes from taxpayer money. That right. does not come from the police. That does not come from right. the city. So no one's actually getting a hurt outside of us and our communities. Thanks so much to Chris for a great interview, and thanks to you for listening. If you want more, join us over at patreon.com slash Show. Thanks to you for listening, and thanks to our super producers, Britt, Marcus Harkis, Noel, Sam Montes, Jason Reynolds, Graville Calais, Michelle, Brenda Cox, Kathy F., and Dr. Keena Murphy. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show and on Patreon at patreon.com slash Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington. Our booker is Claudia Jean. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Friday and on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.